I debated, instead of, you know, preaching this whole sermon, just inviting Elizabeth up and saying, well, here you go. This is an excellent wife. This is what it looks like. Have a little Q&A, figure out the details, what, what you need to do. But the fact of the matter is, I love Elizabeth, but she doesn't live up to this standard, right? No Instagram influencer lives up to this standard, right? We predicate this as a kind of rubric for what a virtuous woman looks like. She has to do all these things. But if you look closely at this passage, we tend to read into it what we think a virtuous, noble, excellent wife should look like. And we pick and choose, like, see, she's like this, or she's like that. But this passage, this picture of this noble woman cuts across all our expectations. It cuts across cultures. It cuts across our own idols. What you can't see in the English is that it's actually an acrostic poem. Each, each proverb, each line, so to speak, begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which paints this picture of, like, this is a complete and ordered picture. This is a complete, total, nothing's left out, and it's, and it's orderly and it's organized picture of what a noble woman looks like. And when you, you take it in its totality, you can see that, that the excellent woman wisely lives out her fear of the Lord in every sphere of her life. The excellent woman wisely lives out her fear of the Lord in every sphere. And by that, I mean her wisdom is not abstract. She's just not wise up here. But it, it, as we've seen with all the wisdom of Proverbs, is lived out. It's practical in every single avenue. And so we're going to look today at the purpose of this proverb. Who is this proverb for? And then we're going to look at the pattern of this woman. What is she like? And then we're going to see the practice for God's people. What does this mean for us? The purpose of this proverb, the pattern of this woman, and the practice for God's people. But first, we see the purpose of this proverb. Because we often look at this, as we do often with a, many different passages of Scripture, like a checklist. Right? Here's all the requirements. For, for men, this is what you need to look for in a wife. If she doesn't tick all the boxes, then she's out. For women, you need to look like this before you even think about getting married. You've got to have all your ducks in a row and make sure you check it all off. Or for husbands, you need to use this as a rubric. Like your wife needs to live up to every single one of these and, you know, give her an ABC grade on all of these, make sure she's doing it all right. Or wives, like this is the standard you're pursuing. You've got to do every single one of things and make sure you hit every single, don't leave any of them out. But that is a worrying, frightening, overbearing way to view this. Because the problem is, if you want to honestly answer the question right at the beginning, an excellent wife, who can find? And then you're going to use all that comes after as a description of an excellent wife. The answer is going to be, no one can find her. She isn't real. She's an ideal. She's embodying many different attributes. She's embodying many different women. Right? She has servants, she has wealth, she has an estate, she's doing real estate, she's doing business, she, she stays up late and she gets up early. This picture is not within reach of anyone, of any wife. This is an expansive vision 
This is saying, what would it look like if a woman was able to fully live out the potential of the image of God in her through wisdom and through fear of the Lord and dependence on him? And so in that sense, it's not a roadmap that you have to follow exactly. It's not a rubric that you have to hit all the marks on. No one is going to meet this standard. And in that It's like many other passages of Scripture. Earlier, I read Ephesians chapter 5. No husband is going to meet that standard. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, no one loves like that. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue these things, that we shouldn't look at this picture and try to live them out. Indeed, in in the, the Hebrew canon, the book of Proverbs is immediately followed by the book of Ruth where you have this picture. She herself is called a, a noble woman, the same word there for excellent wife. She's described in this way. So it is possible to pursue these things. And in that sense, this passage is for women to pursue. But the whole book of Proverbs, and we haven't talked about this much, but the whole book of Proverbs is written to sons, It's given from parents to their children, to their sons in particular, to live this way, to apply these things. And so, this is also for men. Both, yes, to look for a wife like this, but there's not much here that is exclusive to women. There's not much here that's exclusive to wives. There's traits and there's actions And there's qualities that are are worth pursuing for all people. Just as we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1, these qualifications for elders and deacons. We don't look at that list and be like, oh, you don't want to be an elder? Don't don't worry about hospitality then. (laughs) These are things that all people are to pursue. And so this passage as well is for men. Actually, if you look at Psalm 112, it's almost like a companion piece to this passage, where it talks about a man who fears the Lord, just as this is a woman who fears the Lord. And, it, and there are a number of parallels and over, over, overlaps of what a man who fears the Lord looks like and what a woman who fears the Lord looks like. It's profound. I encourage you, go read it and look and draw connections. This, too, is for men. Bruce Waltke, in his commentary on this passage, says this. This valiant wife has been canonized, meaning she's in Scripture. This is God-breathed. She's been canonized as a role model for all Israel. Not all of female Israel, for all Israel, for all time. Wise daughters aspire to be like her. Wise men seek to marry her. And all wise people aim to incarnate the wisdom she embodies. Wise daughters aspire to be like her. Wise men seek to marry her, and all wise people aim to incarnate the wisdom she embodies. So in this sense, this passage is not a blueprint that we you have to follow exactly. Instead, it's like a still life. I don't know if you've ever taken an art class and there's a still life that's right in the middle of the class, right? It's the same still life for everyone, right? The same exact objects. But if I'm over here drawing it from this angle and you're over here 
drawing it from this angle, and someone else is down here drawing from this angle, our pictures of it are going to look a little different. It's the same thing. But the way that we are engaging with it in our context is going to look different. And so this passage is for all people to look at, to pursue, to figure out how do I emulate, how do I encourage this? This proverb, the purpose of this proverb, is for all people to incarnate the wisdom that this woman embodies. But what does this woman look like? What is her pattern? As we've seen that wisdom isn't just a a singular act. Wisdom is a way of living. It's a pattern lived out in every sphere. We see that this woman is defined by her actions and her attitudes, by the whole of her life. She's defined really by several particular qualities, the first of which is strength. Right? This, verb, or this, this word excellent in verse, verse 10 is translated a number of different ways. It's, it's, it, different English translations treat it differently, but there's so many different nuances and connotations to it. It can mean noble. It can mean capable. It can mean powerful or courageous or valiant. It can mean wealthy. It has this strength connotation that's often used, the same word used of warriors. This excellence is a strength. A lot of these connotations, it's not that our translations are bad, it's just that, that there's more going on. If we were to hear a similar English word, we'd be like, well, that kind of sounds like this, and a Hebrew ear would hear these things. In verse 11, when it says she has no lack of gain, the word has this idea of no lack of plunder. She's a conqueror, right? She's an asset of strength who fights on her family's behalf, and they benefit from that. In verse 15, when it says that she provides food, the word is is prey. She hunts for her family. In verse 17, it says that she makes her arms strong. She's doing some weightlifting, (laughs) Also in verse 17, it says that she dresses herself, which, of all the things, this is the one translation I have a problem with, because the the phrase there is, she girds her loins, as if for battle, right? If you were Hebrew, you had these long flowing garments that you can't run and fight in, and so you gather them up, and you tie them in a knot so that you can go and engage in warfare. She girds her loins with strength and dignity. This is not a feminine petite act. This is not going and powdering your nose. She's doubling down for hard work. And her perseverance is significant. In verse 12, it says that she does her husband good all the days of her life. Not that she started, but then she kind of slacked off towards the end. Or she got better over time, and that's when she really... All the days of her life, she did him good. It says her lamp does not go out. See, it requires courage and strength and perseverance and endurance to be a godly spouse. It is a hard task, which is why marriage is, is a covenant. It's, it's more than just a promise. This is why it drives me crazy when people write their own vows. No offense if you wrote your own vows for your wedding, but it drives me crazy because nine times out of ten, it's not a promise. It's how do I feel about you right now? I had a friend in college who bought an entire season of the show, My Redneck Wedding, for one single episode where the husband, the fiancé, was reading the vows he had written to his mother. And he says, I love you. You're hotter than a hot pocket. 
And, sh- and the, the mother says, I love Hot Pockets. <laughs> this is not what it's about. It's not about the feeling in the moment. It's about the commitment and the promise and the strength that it takes to live that out. And so it says right there at the beginning, in verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her. He entrusts her with the core of his being because he knows that she is strong enough to protect it. And so it says there in verse 12 that she does him good and not harm. This is just a general summary, but that because of her influence in his life, there is good that comes and not harm and not evil. She's strong, but she is also able. This this passage over and over again talks about how she contributes based on her gifts and interests and experiences and capabilities, not, not just in the home, but, but even in commerce. She preps for work. In verse 13, it says that she seeks wool and flax. And then later in verse 24, it says, we see that she makes linen garments and sells them. She was doing the work back there to prep for what she's doing later. She's capable and able. In fact, there's that whole section in the middle there, verses 13 through 16, that talk about the the economic benefit of marriage and the work that she is doing. Studies show that stable marriages, in general, result in greater prosperity, greater commerce, both for that family and for the, the culture and the world and the country as a whole. And so she does this work, and she does it well. So she, she does it willingly. This isn't a compulsory, well, I've got to do this just because we need the money. She does it joyfully. She wants to do this because she knows that she's able to do it, and she's fulfilled in it. She actively engages in commerce, right? And says in verse 16 that she goes out and does real estate deals by herself, it's not like, like they, they as a family, she goes and purchases land and plants a vineyard. In verse 14, she's compared to merchants. Like them, goes and brings food from afar. She's capable. She's able to do this. She's productive and she's profitable like a merchant. And even in verse 18, we see that she perceives her merchandise is profitable. It's not just that she's good at this. She's aware of it. She has a good estimation of her own abilities. And she is aware of what she can contribute, and she does so. And so it says in verse 27 that she does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not fueled by laziness. She's not known for idleness. She doesn't eat that bread. She's fueled by something else. But it's not just out in the world in a vocation that she is diligent and capable. It's also in the home. As we see in verses 15 and verses 18, that she gets up early. She stays up late. Not necessarily the same morning and evening, but she's willing and diligent to do this work for her family. Her family is looked well after this verse, verse 27 where it says that she looks well after her family. This, this word that, that can mean like a watchman or a lookout tower. She's like that. She's vigilant for the future in verse 25, but she's not anxious about it and she laughs at the time to come. Not because she's, she's carefree and doesn't think about the future, but because she's prepared for it and she's trusting in the Lord. 
She prepares for harsh weather. And she's unafraid when it comes. Verse 22, it says that she prepares the marriage bed, if you know what I mean. And so she is capable, and she is able. But she's also selfless. She cares for others, both inside and outside her household. She looks well to the ways of those in her family. She takes care of their needs, and they're clothed well, and they're fed. But also her husband, verse 23, is known at the city gates. This idea of being known well at the city gates. The city gates were this this place in the ancient Near East that almost operated like a city hall. This is where the business of the town happened, where disputes were settled, where things that impacted the whole community were decided. And he is known well when he sits among the elders there. The idea here is that he couldn't have done it without her support. That him sitting there is the result of who she is and the way that she has lived. And notice there's no indication of resentment, no indication of of a decreased worth or a decreased self-image because of her promotion of her spouse. In verse 20, her wisdom is highlighted by her care for the poor. We've seen this already, that throughout Proverbs, those who are wise value the poor care for them, give generously to them. And so her wisdom is highlighted as she is opening her hand to the poor and reaching out her hands to the needy. And the idea is that this is part of the rhythm of her whole house as she operates this ministry to those who are needy and poor. She also teaches. Verse 26, it says she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. That, that word kindness is the Hebrew word chesed, which we just can't translate in English without four different synonyms. It has mercy and faithfulness and love and kindness all wrapped up into it. The teaching of chesed is on her lips. She's in this way acting in a pastoral, little p, pastoral shepherding role. Even as we're all called to shepherd each other, as Paul says in Romans that we are to instruct one another. She is doing that. And so she is selfless. We also see that she is adorned. That she is clothed. And this has to do with the way that she is perceived. Maybe you've noticed the theme of clothing throughout this passage as she's making clothing and giving clothing and is clothed herself. Her clothing is expensive and high quality. These scarlet and, and, and other phrases that, that have to do with this rich, fine linen and purple garments, which would have been very expensive. Such that she dresses herself or she girds her loins with strength. She makes linen garments and sashes. In the background, this is all in the background for the metaphor in verse 25 where it says, strength and dignity are her clothing. The idea is that strength and dignity is what she's clothed by. This is how she's perceived. This is what she is known as, as strong and dignified. And so we see in verse 28, that her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. 
That word praises her is the same root for hallelujah, to praise the Lord. He praises her. Those closest to her, those who know her best, they are the one who rise up and call her blessed. They are the one who rise up and praise her. How many times is it the opposite? Where the people who know us best are not the ones who want to praise us. Only the people who see us through social media, they're like, you've got it all together, but the people who know us best, not so much. But she is praised by those people. This flows, even as we see in Romans chapter 12, that we're to outdo one another in showing honor. This is the image that's going on here. They are showing her honor over and over again because of who she is. And so, the very end, it says, give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. She deserves a reward for what she has done, for what she's accomplished. She deserves public praise. But the capstone of this whole passage is in verse 30, where it says, Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so it's not charm, and it's not beauty. It's not those kinds of adornments that she is to be praised for, but is because she fears the Lord. And this is, this is a, a statement about the reality of our world, because so often our culture pushes physical attractiveness. But these things, the charm and beauty, are, are deceptive because they have empty promises. They promise more than they can deliver. That's why we have this trope in stories where there's the, the really attractive person who's just an idiot, Right? Because we recognize the reality of this. How have we participated in that, though? And started to value people more based on their appearances, women in particular. Have we gone out of our way to demonstrate to women that your value is not in how you look? Not that you can't look beautiful. This is not saying that godly women are not to be beautiful. It simply highlights the truth that that is not what is praiseworthy. What is praiseworthy is not appearance, but do you fear the Lord? Do we go out of our way to demonstrate that to women? This verse summarizes how often people and cultures and our entire history tends to value women versus what actually merits it, the fear of the Lord. And it's interesting that this, this almost very end of the book echoes what we saw at the very beginning of the book. In chapter 1, verse 7, where we see that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Here we see that a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So it kind of bookends this whole thing. And it provides the foundation for everything that we've seen here. It's not that this woman is so capable. It's not that she has been blessed beyond anyone else. She is an ideal image, but this is the foundation for it. It's that she fears the Lord, and from that flows everything else that we have talked about and seen. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for God's people? How are we supposed to practice this and live this out? Well, for all people, men, women, children, married, unmarried, whatever, All of us are to create an environment that allows women to live this out, that assists them in flourishing in this way, whether it's working 
in the, in the common in square, in the public square, whether it's staying at home and caring for her children as a homemaker. All of us are called to encourage women to live these characteristics out and to celebrate them when they do it, to recognize women who are working outside the home and, and juggling so much but doing it well for God's glory and praise them for it, to look at the woman who stays at home with her kids and does it incredibly well and manages children, which is its own thing, and praise them for the way in which they, they honor God in doing it. Maybe, women, you are holding other women to a different standard than this. Maybe you're holding them to the standard that you did or the standard that you grew up with instead of this standard. Men, are we seeking to measure women by this passage or seeking to enable them to live it out? As we saw in verse 26 that she teaches, we need to recognize that women have much to teach us. In many different contexts, many more than I would care to say we listen. We should listen to women's voices. We should give them opportunities to teach us what we can hear from them. This is part of why I love that our ministry teams here at Calvary are not restricted based on gender. It's like, oh, this, this is only for the women and this is only for the men, aside from men's and women's ministry. But other than that, we have men and women leading all our different various ministry teams because they have much to contribute, much more than we historically, as a church, not this church here at Calvary, but as a Christian church, have often given them the ability to do it. For all people, especially women, and especially wives, should follow this example. This can be a crushing weight if we look at it as like, this is what you have to follow exactly. But it can also be this, this beautiful and challenging thing as we're freed to live wise lives, leaning on the fear of the Lord and trusting in him. But maybe you're here as a woman single. Maybe it's before marriage. Maybe it's after marriage. Maybe it's through no fault of your own. This passage is also for you. Because here is a call to honor God, to faithfully and skillfully pursue your passions, to faithfully and skillfully handle what God has blessed you with, be it children, be it a job, whatever he has blessed you with to care for your friends, and to care for your family. Because this, this will free you from the cultural idol, which is a cultural idol in America that says women are nothing unless they are married with kids. This should free you from that. Because the image beyond here is so, she is so much more than her marriage. She is so much more than her household. She is a woman who is praised because she fears the Lord. Men, do we intentionally, consciously praise women? Especially married men, do you intentionally, consciously praise your wives? Not just for their beauty, not just for how they handled the kids or handled you and your temper, but for the job that they are doing, 
for the ministry that they are living out, for the skills that they have been blessed with, for the the way the fruit of the Spirit has shown up and been produced in their lives, just for their personality and for who they are. Do we cherish our wives? We should cherish our wives, not whether or not they live up to this. We should cherish our wives because of who they are. This is not a prerequisite. Just as Christ loves his bride before she demonstrates any good works. And and if you learn nothing else from this passage, you should learn this, that it is only Jesus who can enable a woman to live like this. And it is only Jesus who rightly recognizes his bride, for the gifts and the blessings that flow from her trust in the Lord. We see this in Revelation chapter 19, the, the end of the, the canon of Scripture where we have this picture of the marriage of the Lamb. And his bride has been made to do what we have seen here in Proverbs 31. And there's this beautiful song. It says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him, that is the Lamb, the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. She's actively participating in this. But it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen. Have we heard that before? Bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And so, as a church... We live out these things. All of us, men, women, married, unmarried, we live out this wise embodiment of the fear of the Lord, but we recognize that it is granted us. These righteous deeds are granted us by our husband, our corporate husband, who loves us more than we could ever know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the bridegroom of your church, our elder brother, Jesus. Father, it seems odd sometimes for us to speak of him in this way, but he is a loving husband, and we rejoice in that. Father, we thank you for the way that he has sent his spirit, has enabled his church, has granted her to clothe herself with the righteous deeds of the saints. Father, even as we've seen this passage one example of what that looks like. I pray that we would be encouraged, that we wouldn't look at this woman as a weight borne down for wives to live up to, but that we would recognize that it is a right and true and good example for all people to pursue in wisdom while depending on you and fearing you rightly. Help us to do that, Father. We are not equal to the task, but by the power of your Spirit, we have hope to live out the image of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.